break, people. So, as Jason said, my wife and uh, two boys, they're down here. Maybe come down and say hi to them if you get a chance, or come back and see us in these evenings, Amy and Jack and Trey. We did come in from Ohio, and I'm going to have to start out by telling you about a problem I've got back in Ohio. You know how there are, uh, there's such a thing called impulse buying. And so grocery stores and, you know, Walmart, Target, whatnot, will put stuff, stack it up near where you're going to check out, trying to get you to buy stuff you're not expecting to buy. And uh, I've actually got something that has created greater problems in my marriage, and that is library book checking out impulse grabbing. And like, this was for real for me. I, go to, like, I don't buy stuff at supermarkets so much, but when I go to a library for one thing, I come home with 20 books all the time, which I know is a total book nerd thing. Do we got any other book nerds in here that can appreciate that? Yeah, that might need help with that. And so literally what was happening, especially early in our marriage, <laughs> Eric, you know this, especially earlier in our marriage, I kept coming home with all these stacks of books, and there would just be like books all over the room. And I'm not going to read any of them. I just like checking them out. You know, And so I had sort of made a commitment to myself and to Amy that I was going to start to limit that, and I, I wasn't going to keep doing that. And so I went to the library one day to get something, and I was like, okay, just walk and check this out. Just walk and check it out. Walk and check it out. Don't look at that stack of books right there. Don't look at that pile. It's the new books, the shiny books. And I looked, and I saw this title. It said, Salt, A World History. don't need that book. I don't need that book. I don't need to know about salt. I don't need that book. And I got there to check it out, to, to check out whatever I was there to check out. I was like, all right, I got to see what's going on here. Because the book, you guys, the book was almost 500 pages long. And I'm thinking to myself, like, salt? What is there 500 pages worth to write about salt? And is, is there a world history around salt. So you guys, I, I checked it out. <laughs> and I brought it home and I like really, really, really got into this book on salt. Do you know there are over 14,000 uses of salt? They're all in this book if you want to find out about it. <laughs> there have been, like I didn't know any of this, there have been wars that have been fought over salt. Salt used to be like oil is today. I mean, people needed it to survive, especially before refrigeration. It was something that preserved food, right? It, it kept things fresh. It kept them from spoiling. Obviously, it adds flavor to things. Your body needs it to survive. Various religions and, and pagan religions around the world view salt in very superstitious ways. And it just went on and on and on talking about the effect that salt has had on literally world history. It was actually turned into a super fascinating book. It's the only rock we eat. I remember that line from it. Which again, it's just kind of a weird thing to think about, but like I needed to get the book to even know that that was true. It's the only rock we eat. And people have lost their minds about salt throughout history. There was this one part of it that talked about how different bodies of water have varying, varying degrees of saltiness. So if you take a ton of water from the Pacific Ocean and boil it down, there will be 79 pounds. If you do it in the Atlantic Ocean, it boils down to 81 pounds. The Dead Sea, a ton of water from the Dead Sea, write this down, you might need this at some point. 
A ton of water from the Dead Sea boils down to 500 pounds of salt. So there's all these varying degrees of saltiness in water. And you know what's interesting about that is that there's varying degrees of saltiness when it comes to Christians as well. And you remember Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now see, this is, kind of, this is where we're going here, church folks. <laughs> it wasn't just about the salt book. But the salt book caused me to see that one time that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, to view that verse very, very differently from now on. Because salt is like this really profound taste-creating, thirst-inducing, preserving idea. And Jesus doesn't even talk anymore about it, but he says, look, if the salt, you who are the salt of the earth, if you've lost your saltiness, you've lost your taste, what good are you going to be except to be thrown out and stomped on by men? Remember that passage in Matthew chapter 5? So what I find myself thinking about, and I've really been thinking about this lately, this is why I'm talking about it this morning. It's just like, what, what is our saltiness content these days as Christians? I guess as Christians, it's such a broad idea. I'm asking myself. What is my saltiness content? You know, this is what's interesting about salt, too. Salt can be a really good thing. I just listed off ways that salt does good things. Salt can also kill. Too much salt added to a meal. My son actually just said it the other day. I asked him how his meal was. He said, Dad, it tasted like they put, like, a whole pound of salt on my chicken. Okay? And so it's like that means it wasn't any good, right? It's too salty, which is just interesting. So what is, what is the good salt content in my life today? Am I living in the kind of salty way that Jesus would have wanted for me? Especially in a culture that is desperately in need of some Christians who will take seriously their need to be the salt of the, of the world. We're just in a time, I guess it's always been true. But man, the world really needs some Christians to think about their saltiness. So, you know, Paul... Paul was arguably one of the saltiest Christians of all time in the best ways, in the best of ways. And even that is interesting because when we use the word salty in English, salty when it comes to communicating with people can be a really negative thing, can't it? Yeah, what does salty mean in a negative way when it comes to communicating with people? Petty, harsh, a little edgy, maybe rude or mean, right? It's that, that, whole, that whole list of really bad words over there. And so you can be salty in a bad way when it comes to people, or you can be salty in a way that brings life and brings flavor, creates thirst for things, maybe preserves a rotting life, right? You can go in all these different directions. And so it's interesting that Paul uses that word salt with us too in Colossians. If you got a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 4, and we're just going to look at a passage where I think Paul is actually putting on display what a salty life would look like, at least some components of what a salty life would look like. And let's ask what we can learn from him in the time that we've got. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, and we're near the end of the book here, he talks about the prayer of a salty person. So in verse 4, or in verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it 
with thanksgiving. Now, this isn't the point, actually, of where I want to even go with this passage because I want to get through the whole thing. But the more I even looked at this this morning, I thought, man, there's enough inside of that just to write this down and leave with it. The Bible's not big on formulas for how to do the Christian life or how to live a godly life. It's not about formulas. It's about following Jesus. But every once in a while, you'll get some, some formulaic ideas that say, look, if you'll just approach this like this, in these steps, you'll be doing really well. So what does he say? He says three things right here in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep repeating prayer. Be continuous in it, maybe some of your versions say. Set your mind in that direction so that you're continuously praying and talking to God. It's not just a one-time thing that we do on a Sunday or first thing in the morning if maybe we're in the habit of that. But he's saying continue to do it throughout the day. Being watchful or alert, paying attention to what's going on around you, paying attention to people and situations and being aware of more than just whatever I've got in my mind and my agenda for the next thing, but pay attention to what's going on with people. Be alert and do it with thanksgiving, which again, this could easily turn into a whole another message because I've been just getting overwhelmed with my need to focus on gratitude because it's so easy not to be grateful. So, but Paul says, look, this would be like fertilizer for your prayer life. Keep coming back to prayer. Be aware of what's going on around you and just keep, just keep popping up gratitude prayers to God and just see what happens in the midst of that as you move through your day. It's just a great way to live. See what he does with that. But then he also has a prayer request. So he gives them sort of this pathway of what prayer could look like. But then he has a request for them. He says in verse 3 and 4, he said, at the same time, will you do this? Pray for us that God may open up to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison so that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he's got a prayer request. And what he asks for, and, and, and he reveals to us that he's actually writing from prison, and we'll come back to this in a second because I think it's pretty relevant to even what he's doing here. But he says, here's what my prayer request is. Would you pray that God would open up doors? And anytime doors are opening up in Scripture, it's a great study to go do. Go look and see. Anytime a door opens up in Scripture, there's an opportunity that's happening for God to, to, to impact the moment. He said, will you pray that doors would open up so that I can clearly explain to people the mystery of the gospel? Now, what is the mystery of the gospel? Again, we could do a whole series just on that this week, the mystery of the gospel. Well, at the very least, it's just a very simple God loves you, but we're fallen and sinful. Jesus made a way to pay for our sin. We need to choose to say yes to Jesus. That, that is still like a, a very mysterious and counterintuitive and, and countercultural God intervening into human history and saying, this is the way that you come back to me. And there's a mystery in that. That's still foolishness to people. Make, give me opportunity to make that clear. But the gospel is more than just how you come to saving faith and how to get restored back to God. And this is what I love about it. The gospel is actually a completely different way of living life. The Bible is about Jesus, and so this is another piece that, that we might say the mystery of the gospel is about how every single thing in the Bible is pointing to Jesus Christ. 
And there's a mystery of the gospel in that. Understanding like when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he was explaining to the guys that were with him how the prophets and everything that they had known about the Bible was actually fulfilled in him. That's the mystery of the gospel. All of human history and everything that God has revealed about himself in this Bible is pointing to Jesus Christ. In every aspect of life, I just think like this is for me the third category of the mystery of the gospel. It's just every aspect of life. The mystery of the gospel has something to say about what happens when you die. People want to know about that. The mystery of the gospel has something to say about how human relationships work. The mystery of the gospel has something to say about marriage, what marriage means and what it's supposed to look like and what its purpose is as two people come together to be one on this, on this earth. The gospel has something to say. The mystery of the gospel has something to say with with what you do with money and resources. The mystery of the gospel speaks into ultimate purposes and what, what it means to have faith in something. It just on and on and right. So every single aspect of life, the mystery of the gospel has something to say to it. And Paul is saying, I really do think he's probably asking that the door would open up, especially in his context, to be able to expose people to the fact that Jesus died for them and he rose again and the need to put their faith in him. But you know, conversations wind up going in all different kinds of directions with people. And so Paul's request is that in whatever, whatever it is that comes up in this situation that I'm in, as I have access to different people to talk to them, would you pray that doors open up that I'd be able to talk about Jesus to them and whatever it is they're thinking about in their life? Which is pretty cool, because he's in prison. And if I was in prison, one of the things that I would have had included in my prayer list for these folks is, hey, why don't you ask God if he'd let me out of here? And uh, if there's opportunities to do good things while I'm in here, I'll take that too. But one of my requests would be to be set free. Yeah? And, and Paul's, Paul's, request is, Paul's request is, I'm already in here, and maybe he was certainly asking other people to pray that he'd be set free, but that wasn't a priority to him. He was like, I'm already in here. Would you pray that I'd, I'd have opportunity to have conversations with people? I was an elder at a church for years, and I don't remember what prompted this because I'd written this down in some notes that I had, and I went back and saw this again. But I remembered when I was kind of going through this process of, of studying our prayer life as a church, and I was studying our prayer requests and, and just kind of trying to analyze them again because I'm nerdy that way, and I just like paying attention to how things how things are happening in our midst. And I had written a note to myself that there was one particular week where of our 60 prayer requests that we had, 15 of them were for health reasons, and one of them was that somebody wanted an open door to be able to share the gospel with a friend of theirs. And all the rest of the 46 had something to do with praying that circumstances would change in people's lives. Oh, really legitimate stuff. You know, I, I need a new job. Or praying for a relationship that's going through a hard time, a marriage that's going through a hard time. Or pray for our kids. Our, one of our kids is having a hard time. Or maybe there was a, a tension with a, a roommate or something because we were real close to a, a college. But it was all circumstantial stuff. And so get this. This is what I was reminding myself even this morning. There's nothing wrong with that prayer list. Because God says to bring everything to him. Doesn't he? 
Yeah, bring everything to him. Don't hold back. And that was real stuff that was on people's heart. And it was first and foremost what was bothering them as they were thinking about writing something down to be prayed for. Don't hesitate to do that. What I noticed, though, especially in light of this passage, is that there's almost no request for open doors in the midst of the circumstances to be able to share the mystery of the gospel with somebody. In any of the ways that we just talked about it, again, I'm not just talking about sort of a four laws presentation or a book of presentation. I'm talking about being able to have a, a gospel is life conversations and interactions with people. And it was interesting because our church just really was not very mindful of that. And we needed to be challenged to start thinking differently about the way that we prayed. Somebody said once, and this stuck with me, if you prayed your prayers in the morning and God said yes to every one of them, how different would the world be by the end of the day? You ever heard somebody say that before? That's a disturbing Sunday morning thought, isn't it? And, and, you know, for a lot of us, and I have had this conversation, again, it's a really mixed crowd. For a lot of us, our kids would probably be safe at the end of the day, but would our neighbors be saved? Would there be any concern at all for people that are sort of outside our immediate concern? It's a really good, it's, it's a good it's a good question to ask ourselves as we think about our prayer list. And again, not because there's anything wrong at all with praying for all that other stuff. Paul modeled praying for opportunities and clarity. But he's also going to give us a perspective. So let's just keep going. He prays that he'd have all that stuff. He says in verse 5, Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So again, just let's stop here just for a second and just check his perspective. He says, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. So with Paul, and you know this if, if you know your Bible, Paul really has kind of broken the world into two and maybe three different groups of people. For Paul, there are people who have said yes to Jesus who now need to grow up in that. And there are people who do not know God yet through Jesus. They don't know anything of the gospel message. Maybe a third group for him, and this is somewhat debatable, but maybe a third group that he seems to address are people who say that they know Jesus but act and live like they don't. So that's probably a third group. But for Paul, he's going through life and he is thinking of, of these two groups of people, those who already know Jesus, and so he's got admonitions for how we should operate and interact with one another inside the church. And he's got lots of talk about how we should engage people who are outside the church. And he says, he assumes, he assumes that we understand that our purpose in being here on earth has something to do with talking about Jesus things and kingdom stuff with people. And maybe that's obvious. On a Sunday morning, again, I, I don't know any of you or where you come from, but I've, it's good for me to keep reminding myself that in the midst of whatever I have going on in my life, whether you're in school, you're in college, you're, you're on vacation maybe right now, you're in job transition, like whatever the circumstances are of life right now, a purpose that God has given us for being able to get up today is to be about Jesus' things in people's lives, other people's lives other people's lives. He uses a word here when he says, 
to be wise towards outsiders. He says, making the best use of the time. This moment that you have with different people as you move through the day. The Bible talks about two different kinds of time. And I remember this from way back when I was in college. And the first time I heard it, it really struck me. And some of you know this. In fact, what are two different uses of time? What's, what's one that just means time that's just kind of going in order? The seconds are just ticking by on a clock. Does anybody know that word? Yeah, chronos. Good. So there's just, there's just time as it moves by. But then there's another word that has something to do with these moments in time where God does something different. Where because of something that happens in this moment, Things will never be the same. Like a person's life is set on a different trajectory. There's this, this opportunity again where, where God shows up and does something completely different. What's that word? Kairos. Good. How did I know it was over here? I don't know. I just knew. I just knew you would know that. All right. Yeah. Kairos. And so it's just so wonderful as you, if you start to study that word throughout the New Testament and you see again these moments in time where God shows up. In fact, I love that the Gospel of Mark starts this way, where Jesus says the very first words he says, the time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Like, this is the moment. This is the moment. Believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand now. Something very different is about to happen because I just showed up. Kairos moments. Somebody told me a long time ago, that I should be conscious in my life. And, and again, maybe it even ties back to what Paul is saying when he's talking about being alert. I should be in anticipation of God using me to be part of Kairos moments in other people's lives. So again, maybe that's just sort of a radical thought. Like you're just thinking about how to get through the day, right? But Paul's assumption is that whenever we have some kind of an interaction with another person, it may be that God wants to use that moment to redirect their life in some kind of way. It may be that, that he wants to use the engagement that we have to do something different. Just sorting through this list of stories that I thought of this morning and just thinking about, like, so, so what does that mean then as, as I interact with people? As I interact with people, I'm always trying to be conscious that maybe God wants to use me to be a blessing to them. Always. Again, when I'm in my right mind and I'm walking with God, I'm asking, how does God want to maybe use me to be a blessing? What might this person need to be able to see him more clearly? What might this person need so that I become the hands and the feet of Jesus in their life and maybe I'm able to bring healing? Sometimes maybe that's silence. Sometimes maybe it's to ask a question. Sometimes maybe it's just to see them and be human with them. So here's the story, and this is going to be a really dramatic story, but I, I, I was reminded this morning of this with some terror um, because of what I'm about to tell you. So at work... This was a number of years ago. I work at an office building, and I would show up at this office on most days. In fact, when this happened, I was completely overwhelmed every day when I went to this office. And it's, on a, it's on, actually on a sports complex, so there'd be all kinds of different people usually going about their business and trying to do things. And I never pay any attention to any of them when I'm going to the office because I'm just going there to get to my office and get on with whatever it is I've got going on. 
And I, there was one particular day that I was in the parking lot and I was getting close to the doors to go in. And there was a woman who was just standing in the lot and who looked somewhat like she was confused. And get this, because this is really what I want you to get. And I thought to myself, I don't really care right now that she's confused. Uh, that's not my problem. I need to get going. I don't, again, I don't even remember what it was, but I had something that I had to go in there and do. And for, I don't know how long it was, it seemed like an awful lot of back and forth happened for me as I was walking and taking steps. I went back and forth between, I don't care what that lady is doing there right now, and why don't you say hi to that lady right now and see if she needs help? Which, again, was not usually part of something that I did. And so, <laughs> say hi to her one, and I did. I just said, good morning. I said, I said can I help you? Do you, do you need any help? And she said, well, I think I'm okay. I just, just was wondering if this building was what it was. And I said, it is. Have a great day. She said, thank you. Went about my business, didn't think anything else about it. A week later, I was in a meeting. Again, this is, this is going to sound a little dramatic. I was in a meeting, and there was somebody giving a report, okay, of people that had stayed on the property. And she had a letter from somebody who had said that that day, that particular day that she was on our property, she had come there and said that she was going to kill herself by the end of the day. I don't, to this day, I don't even know everything that was going on in her life, but she had made a decision that this was going to be the last day that she lived, and she was on the property to drop something off or whatever. And she said, somebody said hello to me and asked me if I needed help. And there was something inside me that suddenly became hope that maybe I shouldn't follow through on what I was planning on doing. And I was sitting in the meeting, and I was thinking, that was that lady that I just said hello to. And this is what happened. You know, that's kind of a good moment, right? Like, that's a good, way to, good thing to find out in a meeting, that I was a part of that. And it was, and I felt like just, you know, a little bit of good. But what I mostly felt was relief. And then I started to feel just some terror for how many times I'm just going through my day and not even paying attention enough to people to be able to say hello to them because I'm just doing my thing and not seeing people. Now, you can become, and again, I, I thought about not telling that story because you can start to become pathological then and start just looking around all the time. You feel like you got to go through here. How you doing, man? You having a good day? Good to see you, right? You just feel like you got to get to every single person and say, God bless you. You're going to have a great day. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just do it, right? Just, <laughs> you just can start going crazy. And no, I don't think that's what God is after. He's bringing people around me. He's bringing people around me. He brings people around you to see them. And maybe the most basic thing you can do in ministry to make the most of the opportunity, I'm just talking about the most basic thing you could do, is to start to see people and be human with them in a time where people are just becoming more and more inhuman towards each other and say, I see you. Maybe it's a, I see you in Jesus' name. Maybe it's a, you look sad today. Are you sad? Tell me about that. 
Maybe it's you're in conversations with people and you just bring up, what do you think God might be trying to do with you in this right now? You just become the person that starts to anticipate, remember what we're talking about? Anticipate that maybe this is a Kairos moment. Maybe this isn't just a, maybe this is a moment where God wants to do something different just by me being human to somebody in Jesus' name. We eat a lot of grapes in Ohio, most of which probably come from California. <laughs> now that I think about it, thank you. Thank you to you Californians. And you know, grapes are like a dime a dozen, right? You got like a big bag of grapes and you just eat grapes and you don't think anything about the grapes as you're eating grapes. Well, one day Amy came home and she got these organic grapes. And it was like an $8 bag of grapes, right? Normally grapes are like a buck 30 or something like that. It was like an $8. Now they might be eight bucks again, but all of them. But it was like an $8 bag of organic grapes. And you guys, I remember, first of all, I was frustrated. And we, talked, we had to talk that out. But okay, we got these, we have these $8 grapes now, okay? And I remember breaking them things off. And it was like each one. I was savoring and there wasn't going to be any, yeah, I'll just throw it away with four left on it. Like, I'm going to eat every single one of these grapes. And I'm going to treat it like it means something special. They all look the same. There's nothing, you know, that's different about them, even compared to other grapes. I'm just going to notice each one. And I'm going to treat it like it's special. And I just think, well, it's an $8 bag of grapes. Some of you are already there. You're already getting it. Like most of the time we just do people and y'all are just a buck 30 bag of grapes, right? It's just, we're just, just people, people here, people there, whatever, people getting in the way. Sometimes again, it's bad grapes, right? It's like, oh, but God says, no, again, I died for every one of these people. Like every one of these people is a soul that has a purpose, I have a plan for them. Again, we, we just, we don't talk that way in our culture in general anymore. Only amongst us as Christians do we even have a chance to view each individual life as something unique and special. And with God's imprint, the Imago Dei, we see that. And so God says, look, Paul is saying, people, us, y'all, Treat every one of your moments with people, not in some kind of pathological, crazy kind of way, but just Pay attention, and maybe you could be a blessing today to people as they come across your path. And hopefully some people do that for you, too. That's actually what church is supposed to be, right? Mutual blessing, where we come in and we stir one another up to love and good deeds, and we give each other courage to go into another week. Again, it doesn't always work out that way, I know, and again, that's a different series, right? But let's just say best church is like we see ourselves as an $8 bag of grapes, Yes, and we bless each other that way. So Paul wanted that to happen with these people. But then in verse 6, again, let's just, let's land this in verse 6. He says, let your speech then always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he's talked to us about prayer, and he's given us a sense of perspective. And because I wanted to keep with peas, and I couldn't think of anything else, I just thought of pungency, the pungency of a salty person. The way you liked that, didn't you, Eric? <laughs> the pungency of a salty person. 
their speech is characterized by a certain way of interacting with people. And the word that he says here is, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Let it be gracious. So the word grace is a great word to study. That it would be like a gift to people. That your words would become something that, that, that are like when they go into people's ears, and I'm going to mix some metaphors here, some sensory metaphors, that when your words go into people's ears, it tastes like a gift more often than not. Paul says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned as it were, with salt, that it would add flavor to people's lives. That maybe it would be a preservative as their life is decaying apart from God. Or frankly, even, again, folks in the church, we need it just as much as anybody, right? Gracious words that will help us to want to keep going. Gracious versus judgmental. Gracious versus selfish. Gracious versus demanding or critical, or apathetic, or sarcastic. Again, maybe you need to do an inventory on kind of what are, what are your words? Are they gracious or are they full of something that's more bad salt? I remember I was um, with a basketball team. I used to play basketball. And this was in my early 20s. And uh, I had roommates, and we recognized amongst ourselves that we were almost entirely communicating with sarcasm all the time. And we were really good at it. It was really funny, and it was um, enjoyable, and it made it almost impossible to have serious conversations with each other. Because our speech was constantly seasoned with sarcasm. And so we got together. I'll never forget this, again, because it's almost a little bit weird as I think about it. We got together as 20-some-year-old men and went to lunch together and sat down and made a commitment with each other that we weren't going to use sarcasm with each other. And I can remember the moment. <laughs> I remember we got really sarcastic with each other about not using sarcasm anymore. And we're like, okay, how are we? We're like addicts. Like, how are we going to stop this? Yeah, we needed, we needed to go cold turkey. We really did. And, and we did. Listen, and, and because we became conscious of our words with one another, these men are still in my life. We really did start down and started heading down a different trajectory with each other in the types of conversations that we had, the types of questions we asked each other, the types of feedback that we gave to one another, because we cleaned out this other kind of communication that was bad salt, and we said, let's start being gracious with each other. Again, that's inside the church, and there's plenty of places we can go where Paul said we need to do that inside the church. Right here he's saying, for sure you got to do that with people that are outside the church. Be gracious. Ways to be salty or to become salty. I wrote these things down to myself. To be curious about other people's lives to learn to ask good questions, to learn to be more human and share what's true from your life. Talk about how God has done something in your life and be able to articulate that. That's gracious, salty talk. 
to stop giving ourselves, and I'm going to stop right here, to stop giving ourselves permission to be mean to each other if we don't like what people believe, if we don't like the political party that they're a part of. Let's say, and again, this goes on on both sides. If we don't like their theological positions about certain things, I'm not saying we can't disagree, but we live in a cultural moment where it's almost like we've given ourselves permission to ignore being gracious, to ignore being consciously seasoned with salt. And we just say, well, no, we, we have the freedom to be mean to that person because they're part of this group. And Paul just says, no, may it, may it never be. May it never be. In fact, those are the people, actually, ironically, that need Jesus more. The people that you disagree with because of their anti-Christian worldview and their anti-God way of doing things are actually the ones that most need to meet a real Christian today who will do what Paul is exhorting us to do, which is to pray in a certain kind of way and have a certain kind of perspective. And by all means, let our speech be gracious when we're given opportunity to speak. Let's stop there. I'll pray and we'll end. Lord, thank you for this word and keeping it for us. Thank you for the opportunity to start again. New week, another Sunday, another day to be reminded of opportunities that you may want to use us in in other people's lives or out here on this property and bumping into all kinds of different people and bumping into each other. Would you make us conscious of how you might want to use us to bring life to each other? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.